Hey everybody, it's Eric Balance coming to you with the Resilient Minds Podcast, where I feature beautiful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and experts in their field, where they help us discover their X factor, their experience of life, only to discover how they were able to accomplish and find out their why factor, their big why, their purpose in life. So join me as we get to discover the beauty of our minds and how can we really continue to go after the biggest and most wildest dreams while we continue to pursue and manifest our greatest intelligence that comes from the heart. Also, if you haven't, go check out the new alignment course that I've created at www.ericbalance.com forward slash alignment, A-L-I-G-N-M-E-N-T. See you on the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Resilient Minds podcast. I'm very grateful today because after many years of not seeing this wonderful man uh, since we were in Amsterdam uh, with Tony Robbins, uh, I want to welcome Roland Frazier to the show. Thank you for being here, my brother. It's good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. And so for those of you that don't know Roland, uh, I, I love this man because there's so much wisdom that comes through him uh, on a regular. And when I when I met uh, Roland in person, I was just really fascinated by the concept of business and under, the way that he understands things. And for those that don't know, he's a recovering attorney and co-founder principal of six different Inc. magazine fastest growing companies in e-commerce, e-learning, real estate, and SaaS spaces. A serial entrepreneur who's founded, scaled, and sold over two dozen different businesses, ranging from consumer products to live events to manufacturing companies, with sales ranging from $3 million to just under $4 billion. Thank you again, man. It, it, I'm excited to learn from you today. I'm excited to express. I'm excited to share your wisdom with the audience and uh where are you coming in from brother i am uh at home in san diego california amazing man it's uh and and since we've been together uh in 2000 i think it was 2020 where what has what has what has shifted since then since uh 2020 in amsterdam uh, i would have been 2019 because 2020 was pandemic so um yes. that uh yeah, so the pandemic happened. That was uh, that was interesting and uh, created uh, a lot of uh, challenges when it first came, and then a lot of opportunities arose out of the challenges. And so, um, really, just it it was kind of amazing to watch uh, uh, the restaurant businesses take a hit, the real estate business take a hit, the uh, initially the digital marketing companies to take a hit, and then. Uh, as people were stuck home, all of the digital things took off. Um, people got to work remote, so real estate took off, did better than it had ever done before, and uh, and we pivoted to um, uh, QVC and online uh, and television sales for our restaurants and takeout, and they ended up doing great. So it's kind of been interesting just to watch all of the different businesses grow. Um, pivots required, but. Uh, but that's that's been it's been so mercurial, right? Because you had everything slow down in twenty, and then twenty one, people kind of 
you know, came back, got tired, adjusted, et cetera. And then 22, it's like, is it over? Kind of, sort of, but not. And uh, the events companies were, uh, were, you know, very, very hard hit by that, but, um, but that's all come back now. So it's just, it's just been kind of a continuing adventure of adjustment to a lot of really interesting things going on in the world. I think like we've had, I feel like between the pandemic and the war in Russia and the economy and interest rates, it's been a very unusually compressed amount of radical change over and over and over over the last three years. And do you feel moving forward with all these radical shifts, like what's the most exciting thing that you're seeing uncovering and how that transfer of wealth is starting to uh, really be implemented through maybe Web 2, Web 3, anything like this that you see as a, a, a pattern from the past that maybe is repeating itself? Oh, and I forgot. And then NFTs crashed also. Um, <laughs> yeah, cra crazy, crazy high and crazy crash. No, I mean, for me, it's just we're we're pretty steady. I, I'm I'm excited about all the things that I was excited about in 2019 and 2017. You know, we're we're we move forward with all the businesses. Um, I really love them. We're you know we have a lot of different businesses in our portfolio, and um, they're growing all the time. We've got you know strong relationships with lots of people. So it's really just continuing the the adventure, the probably the thing that I enjoy the most, of course, is acquiring companies and growing them to sell. And that's, you know, that gets probably the lion's share of my focus outside of our portfolio companies. But it's, uh, it's a, it's just all very exciting. I like business. So I'm never bored with it. So tell me about like, why, why you got into the acquisition side of things. And what really excites you so much about the acquisition side of things for anybody that's really looking to identify because it's a really unique way of conducting business and I'm, I'm very fascinated by it. I think it's a great way to build scale and really grow long-term longevity or wealth uh, as a whole. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I got into it um, as an outgrowth of real estate when I was, 18 and selling real estate and kind of learned about um, that it was possible to do no money out of pocket deals on real estate, uh, you know, through classic, uh, I think the first book I ever read was Robert Allen's uh, Nothing Down book. And I was like, wow, that's pretty fascinating. You can, you can acquire real estate with no money, no money. And, um, and then doing that. And then uh, in the early eighties, getting taken under the wing of, um, an investment banker in New York and learning about leverage buyouts, which is ex basically the same thing as no money out of pocket real estate is kind of using the assets of the companies to pay for themselves to pay for their own acquisitions. And I was like, well, that's pretty fascinating. And kind of putting those two things together, I realized that really from a business standpoint, two things. One is that it, to me, never really makes sense to start anything from scratch because momentum is everything in business. And if you can tap into an existing momentum, then you don't have all of the risk of starting a business, which is pretty high. And you don't have all of the incredible effort that it takes to get a business off the ground and going. So acquiring taps into that. And then the second prong of that is that pretty much any challenge or goal that you're going to face with your existing business can be 
solved through acquisition. So it's like, if you want more market share, you can acquire your competition. If you want to diversify, you can acquire indirect competition. If you want to uh, get more leads, you acquire media. If you want to acquire infrastructure and people, you acquire and, and buy companies that already have those resources. If you want to increase your average order value, you buy complementary products and services. If you want to increase your profits, you acquire up and down the supply and distribution chain. If you want to innovate, you acquire intellectual property. Like all of that stuff is out there to acquire. And so kind of like, it's just faster. I'm always, always, always looking at how do we get where we want to go significantly faster, more efficiently. And, um, and I, to me, the acquisition path has, has proved to be consistently a good answer to that question. I think that's a, it's a, it's a beautiful reality that you bring to the table because most people think that they need to go and start a new business. And there's so many different channels out there that are already existing that can really lead to bringing together, you know, this team of individuals that are way smarter in different fields than you ever are. And by building together, you start to create even more momentum um, because everybody's really knowledgeable in their fields. And as a result, you, you're kind of moving down the, the highway or down the pathway as one. And, you know, it's, it's interesting as I get older and as I start to like learn and understand this concept, I'm fascinated by, you know, Hey, like there's been great businesses that have been built and maybe they just need some new energy, right? Maybe they just want some, uh, younger guys or some, some new identity and, bringing in this level of, of service and focusing on people's legacy that have been cultivated over years to come, we keep moving that forward with excitement, with grace, with, 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 with the service, and then building on each other's wisdom by using maybe new tech, new marketing, new SaaS products, new e-learning, things like this, uh, but then still focusing on the end user. And I think that this is like, you know, like a guy like myself, uh, so hungry about wanting to grow, 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 right? And then you see, wait, like it doesn't need to be, I don't need to figure it all out by myself. It's like Tony says, reasons come first, answers come later, right? And mm -hmm. so as a result, you're just like focused on, wow, you get to create all of this and you don't have to do it all by yourself. You just need to find the right people and the right people will, will make it happen with you. Let me know what you feel like about this. Yeah, a hundred percent. That, that, that is it. Exactly. It's uh, it's kind of like the, uh, the dog pound, right? Method. It's you can go and get uh, a brand new creature from somebody that, uh, that breeds those creatures, but there's all these other creatures that are already out there that, uh, are wonderful and uh, and if they don't get care things that are not great are going to happen to them and so like that's actually kind of the case with businesses too if you can adopt a business by acquiring it as opposed to starting a new one you're really helping a lot of other people out as well the existing employees the existing customers the owners you know all those people have their goals and you know if you look at the stats of about 600,000 businesses a year in the United States alone shutting down just closing their doors every year and you look at the um, the stats of the 80 to 90% of businesses that get listed for sale not selling, there's this huge pool of, uh, of orphan businesses out there 
that nobody wants that uh, that we really help solve problems for when we go in and acquire. And it's good for us too. That's that's what I like about it. It's just, there's no predatoriness here. There's no no losers. It's only winners because there's a lot of people who want to sell their businesses who are unable to do that. And so if we're able to come in and get uh, you know work with them to get them what they want and get good terms for ourselves, it, it's hard to, to find a loser in that. And that's beautiful. Like uh, identifying how there's a win-win situation, keeping the culture going, maybe even making it better with this different type of energy so that culture continues to manifest where people are empowered to continue to follow their vision. Uh, they're empowered to cultivate, you know, this awareness of what the mission of the organization is. And then the founders are excited because they get to work alongside other individuals that are also at the same level of principle and values. Yep. I think this is, I I think this is a, it's like, it's, it's, uh, it needs to be taught more. It needs to be identified more. It needs to be more of an awareness in, in common, like common societal expectations, because I, I perceive like in the past, I would perceive this as like a separation or like a competition when in fact, it's really not. It's like really seeing everything in abundance in, Hey, like we get to create together. So how did you, as going into this, like if somebody is listening to us right now, Roland, you know, tell us like leverage buyouts, you know, utilizing these assets, you know, getting into the uh, real estate type of things. If somebody is wanting to know more about leverage buyouts, and I, and I know that you don't need to go in depth into it, but like, what does that really mean for an individual that is curious to know how an acquisition is able to support them? Uh, to get into kind of their area of their dream business or their dream uh, goals uh, in business. Sure. So leverage buyouts a very specific uh, way to acquire a company. It's where you find a company that has assets that have equity in them or that are currently undervalued or that are worth more uh, ultimately to sell than to keep. And you go in and you use those assets to get debt and the debt finances the acquisition. So that's one way uh, of about 225 that we have of acquiring businesses without having to use your own cash. And um, and it's not to me one of my favorite ways because it it is heavy on debt. And so then the the company once it comes out of the leverage buyout and the people that acquired it are really stuck with some pretty high debt service. And that can be that can be dangerous if there's not success in increasing the profitability of the company. Things that I like a lot more uh, that are actually significantly simpler would be uh, seller financing. So sellers who want to sell their business and find that they can't are motivated sellers. They're a motivated seller because they've actually tried to sell and they're among the 80 to 90% that find that they cannot. And so that means that if they want to transition ownership of their business, then they need to be a little bit more flexible, either on the price or on the terms or both. And so those are really prime candidates for the types of deals that we like to do. And you know, those are people that, like I said, tried to sell the business but can't, people that have shiny object syndrome that are just want to get rid of the business to do the next thing, people that have gone through divorce, that have health problems, that want to relocate, that have challenges with partners. 
um, that have other opportunities that produce more money. There's a lot of times that we find they're serial entrepreneurs and they've got three or four businesses going on at one time. And one of them is profitable, but it's just not as profitable or as interesting to them as the other things. And so they're just trying to get rid of that. And um, all of those opportunities create motivated sellers. And so then when you're dealing with those sellers, it's simply a conversation of, well, what do you want for the business? And if you can agree on what a reasonable price is, but they haven't been able to find a buyer for it, then very, very, very often, those people are willing to carry the paper or finance the debt on doing that at very favorable, you know, on, on a very favorable basis. So, um, so that's like, I, I like that way more than leverage buyouts because there's the, the, the way that the debt comes about is way more favorable to the buyer than in institutional funding through, you know, mezzanine debt and things like that. So that, that, and then an earnout where you're saying, Hey, look, I, I know that you want this much for the business and I want to give it to you. It's just that if we make this change, there's a chance that just the fact that we're making the change could cause things to go down, or maybe there's things I don't know about. So let's for somewhere between 10 and 40% of the purchase price agree that as long as after one to four years, the business is continuing to do about the same as it was before, then I'll pay you that extra 10 to 40%. And so that combination of seller finance and earnout is really a powerful one too, and presents a much, much more favorable buying opportunity than trying to go out and, and do institutional debt. Hmm. I love it. I, I, I'm learning so much because we're we're currently in uh, we're we're trying to figure out uh, an acquisition model with re with regards to a a SaaS company that is really has been around since 2011 and the owner uh, uh, or the founder was really utilizing um, this SaaS. It's like a marketing tech platform. Uh, was utilizing it for a number of years. And then now he switched his gears, kind of like you just said, and, and was like, not as motivated, hasn't been pushing. It's still cash flow positive, hasn't been like really in the flow. And so now he's like, okay, well, I don't want to sell it all. I'm willing to kind of go in through a 50% partnership with you and then kind of transition how would you approach, and if you don't mind me asking you, I'd love to know, how would you approach this type of situation? So like the, 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 the EBITDA on it was like a 11.9 times the EBITDA is, is what the, the evaluation came out to be. And it 2.3x the revenue. And so, you know, we had our, our CFO Nolan really look at the numbers and really spend time to identify like what's really powerful in the market. And so basically, you know, where we got to a number where he's really happy at 2 million for 50% of the organization. Uh, so the valuation is about 4 million. And so now we're looking at really identifying with partners and seeing how we can acquire this business at a way that everybody is uh, happy, is that everybody is excited, everybody is motivated, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the first thing is that uh, that valuation seems seems high. So if you even if we say a valuation of let's call it 11 times uh, a valuation of 11 times 
is standard, that's a valuation for an acquisition of 100% of the company, which includes a control premium. So the fact that you're not acquiring a controlling interest and you're not acquiring all of the company typically results in somewhere between a 20 and 40% discount off of what a normal valuation would be. So buying 50% of a $4 million company versus buying all of a $4 million company, are those are com two completely different things. So you might yeah. expect that you would pay because uh, you're acquiring effectively a $2 million interest if it's a $4 million valuation. So you might expect that if the market valuation was four, which I don't ever want to pay market anyway, but if the market yeah. valuation was four and you're only acquiring half of the company, 2 million, then you would expect somewhere around a 20 to 40% discount on that. So I'd be looking at a four, uh, you know, 20% of 2 million would be 400,000. Uh, 40 would be 800,000. So I'd be looking to buy it for about a million to a million two if I was going to pay that. But I would also um, have a conversation about what, what's going to happen with the company. So what's that person going to do with their 50%? What are they going to continue to add to it? If it's not a lot and you're really coming in, bringing the operations, then yeah. I would argue that it's better as a consulting for equity deal where you say, look, um, you're not doing anything with this anyway. You're having a hard time selling it or you would have already sold it. And so why don't you let us come in and we'll, for 50% of the company, we'll take over and we'll grow it. And that could be a all vested when you come in opportunity, which is the one that I like the best, or it could be uh, we'll take a percentage of increase as we have success with the company. And then at some point, uh, our full 50% interest will vest when we hit these milestones, you know, which could be time-based or uh, KPI based or both. And that, you know, that's a very, very common way that, that I use to acquire interest in companies when it's an operating existing company and we're going to come in and add value. But, um, but so that's the very first thing. Then I would say uh, once we work out whatever, whatever that valuation issue is, it's, well, how do we pay that? Well, I don't want to pay it cash. Um, I want to, I want it to be seller financed. And so if the company is profitable, which you said it is, right, then my 50%, ideally, my 50% of the uh, profits of the company would cover the debt on the property and I'd finance it that way. So the seller's getting a sale and they are getting that money, plus you're coming in to do whatever you're going to do, uh, but you're not having to come out of pocket. And then a portion of that might, you know, I, like I said, I, I generally try to structure a portion of that as an earnout too. So you might say, you know, well, he says it's worth four and you say, you know, or he says your 50% your interest is worth two and you say it's worth, you know, one and um, you agree on 1.2. And so you have <clears> one, <throat> 1 million is financed over 10 years, $100,000 a year. And the other um, 200,000 is an earn out based on certain KPIs that the company hits, you know, so that like, that's kind of how I typically go in to those deals. And then, uh, you know, beyond that, look at all the other assets and see what can happen if that, if that's not something that works, but that's to me, a great starting point. Wow. Beautiful advice, man. Like a lot of, lot of value there, especially with the coming in with as, a, as, as an operation team. I think that there's a huge value in, you know, being willing to take on the operations, stepping into that role of saying, Hey, like we'll, we'll really put all the energy on our shoulders give all the value and and really exchange that level of interest for that that's a 
a different perspective. I never looked at it this way. This is really beautiful. So thank you for this, bro. Yeah. And it's not uncommon. I mean, if you look yeah. at typically out there when someone comes in, that's just a CEO or just a high level C person, they're going to receive equity in the company as part of their comp package. So when you're coming in to do something and you're coming in to, you know, to have a dramatic impact on the company, it, it's very, very reasonable to have that be for an equity interest. What do you see for SaaS moving forward with acquisitions and like, you know, SaaS in, in regards to marketing tech, virtual marketing departments, uh, you know, uh, things that, uh, you know, CRMs, uh, cybersecurity, blockchain, what do you see moving forward with regards to, uh, you know, acquiring these types of businesses and how they could be a really uh, sustainable and really helping to build scale and amplify you know physical businesses so both i guess really online and 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 uh and uh brick and mortar so really these 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 virtual marketing departments these SaaS organizations these SaaS companies uh these cyber securities how they can amplify and come in to any really organization and really help scale it. What do you see? I'm curious to know with these types of businesses. Well, I mean, I, I think they're, I think that generally as a, as a business model, SaaS is very, very solid. I think the valuations have come down dramatically from the crazy frothy levels that they were at even a year ago and certainly two years ago. And, um, and as a, acquisition to support existing businesses, I think that they're great because they provide automation, they provide efficiency, and they provide a, the potential for a recurring revenue model to the extent that they can be outward facing as well as internal. So almost all the businesses we have have SaaS components to that. So you could call that tech enablement uh, if it's inside because that technology enables us to do whatever it is we do in our existing businesses faster and better. Um, or it can be simply revenue opportunities because it's also outward facing and we're not just using it internally. We actually offer it to the public. So I, I think it's really cool. And I think that you can use the existing physical businesses or non-SaaS related businesses that you've got to help fund acquisitions of SaaS that then increase profitability. So, you know, it's, it's goodness all around. Wow. So many things just just popping into my head about the importance, especially as we are, you know, navigating into a new Web3 version of, you know, the online world. How do you see it benefiting us with Web3? And do you feel like it's, it's kind of a role, especially since the pandemic, of most businesses taking on more of these SaaS products and really making it uh, easy, easy for them to sustain their operations, to streamline their services, to amplify their messages to the marketplace. I think that what, what you'll really see is a democratization of access to software at dramatically lower prices. Because I think what we, what we had seen over the last couple of decades is this class of people that are coders or that are able to assemble and supervise coders who really had this 
huge advantage over everyone else because they were automating. They uh, the markets loved funding them. It was complex. Lots of people tried and failed, and um, and that what you're getting now is first with no code, and now with um, software that's uh, that's able to program itself, like you can with ChatGPT and some other AI. Uh, that that kind of two class distinction is going to be radically changed, and that so many more people will have access to software and the ability to code by basically speaking what they want to have happen and the code being created, that the market's going to change, the pricing is going to come down. And while software will continue to eat the world, um, I think that the the kind of hyper hyper hypervaluation model of valuing it based on a multiple of revenue, I, I believe those days are either over or about to be over. I, I know that in looking at valuations for software companies, it used to be, we're really looking at ARR, annual recurring revenue. It's going to be a high multiple of that. I had a friend that's uh, that basically got um, a, a partial exit and a huge round of funding at around a 26 times revenue. Uh, cool. Think about that. It's 26 times the revenue of the company Let's say that the company uh, was operating at a, you know, a 25% margin. It's probably higher than that. But let, let's say it was operating at a 50% margin. That means it's 52 years for those people to break even. Now, obviously, they're assuming that's assuming no growth, and they they're thinking it's going to grow. But dag on, I mean, that's that's kind of crazy. And so now I've watched as um, it's no longer acceptable to have no profit and high ARR. Uh, and the valuations even on the ARRs are way, 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 way down. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I, I really do think no code and AI are going to have dramatic impacts as they come more and more into the mainstream. With AI, do you think, what do you see are the greatest benefits uh, utilizing AI with marketing and with sales, you know, with SaaS specifically, because uh, AI marketing, I think, is a huge part of our acquisition uh, model. And I think that, you know, with within being in SaaS, you're probably very similar to understanding, hey, how important, you know, AI has allowed us to amplify like a creator, right? Get like you said, you know, gets to a creative just gets just gets to say what they want. And all of a sudden it happens. So how important is this going to be for people that really are, I don't want to say illiterate, but I want to say like, hey, they don't understand that how that concept works, but yet they could still make it happen. I think it's hugely important. I, I look at just the speed. We, we wrote a 360-day email calendar in about four hours for one of our businesses. We created 127 courses in uh, the workplace safety space in about a week. I mean, it, it's like the time that it would take to do all of that stuff before was, uh, it was just so, so much more, uh, so much longer, so much more intense. And um, now you, you can create, you can create really, really great things at will at speed. And that is, you know, that, that changes everything. So we, we use it for everything from email sequences to video scripts, to course descriptions, to fulfillment, uh, you know, sales pages, landers, 
it, it's, it's pretty, uh, and certainly all of all kinds of copy, it's just so much faster. So I look at it as a, uh, a ridiculously smart, uh, assist a bank of assistants that you can assign tasks to. And because there are so many people working on it, it gets done instantly. That's really what AI is. And, uh, and it's only getting better. So, you know, it's, it's something that's a huge part of everything we're doing. You're seeing it being implemented in uh, across all businesses. I think that'll stop being AI at some point soon and just be called software. But, um, you know, it's, it's going to just like right now we have a lot of AI applications, but you can already see that AI is being brought into Bing and Microsoft and Adobe and Notion and all these other companies. So it, I think at some point in the very near future, it's not separate AI companies anymore. It's just the companies that are building the infrastructure that all the other companies are building into their software. When you talk about the infrastructure, can you elaborate for anybody that is uncertain about what that means, uh, especially for new businesses wanting to take on uh, more of a SaaS perspective or AI perspective, uh, like these traditional businesses wanting to step into the infrastructure of, uh, of tech, of tech and innovation? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, at first, I think you stick with stick with what you're good at. I mean, if you're selling hamburgers to go into AI systems for the creation of hamburgers might not be the best thing. That's not really your core competency. But, um, but I think that an awareness of tech enablement is always smart. And that just like businesses, if you look at a, um, look at a hardware store and a hardware store in the past kept all their books on paper and um, kept their inventory in, in paper inventory logs. And then as accounting systems came, that's not their core competency, but they got uh, QuickBooks probably into their accounting system. And so now they're enabled there. And then they had maybe a 3PL company that handles their shipping and all of that stuff that coordinated with some software that, that integrates with QuickBooks to do that, and then um, their inventory systems and all that. Well, now their their point of sale, their accounting, their inventory, their shipping is all tech enabled, but they're not involved in any of that tech creation. Uh, they could choose to be if they wanted, but that's a different business. So the infrastructure of their business from a software standpoint is all of the systems that help that stuff go. So whether they look at how can they take AI applications that exist out there and enhance that existing tech infrastructure that they've got, or uh, they wait for the companies that they're already using to integrate AI into that tech infrastructure, that's, that's either going to happen naturally as, as the existing Infrastructure, tech infrastructure companies get AI enabled, or they're going to go out and look for it uh, themselves for separate applications. And that's that's really what I'm talking about. The infrastructure is like you know you're not you're not changing the fact that your core business model is to um, acquire hardware from manufacturers and sell it to the retail public, right? That that doesn't change. But all of the how does that happen? 
uh, from how do customers happen through marketing uh, and yeah. management of your CRM to everything else, that's, you know, that's going to be changing dramatically. So I don't know that I, that I think it would be terribly smart for companies to say, I'm going to pivot into being a tech company. But I think that the fact that, that custom solutions will be easier to create because AI is becoming more and more available to the average person uh, or modifications or plugins or APIs to existing software solutions that can be customized to, to specific um, use cases, that to me is, is definitely an opportunity. I love it. And this is why like having operating systems that are easily uh, amplified inside of these businesses where, like you said, the CRM, the, the marketing tools, they can be easily systematized and, and scaled uh, for automation. It allows us all to really like follow our dream, focus on our, on our, on our, on our uh, vertical. Yep. And, and really create that life by design that each individual really wants to go out and attain or has attained and just needs to amplify it through simple tools that, you know, infrastructure that we've built or that somebody else has built or, you know, and, and continue to, to scale that way. How does that, you know, resonate? Yeah, I, I agree hundred percent. Bro. I, it's, it, it's such a breath of fresh air listening to this wisdom, man. Like it, it is like, sometimes you read things and and then when you hear it come out of like a, a, an, a man that has done it over and over and over again, it it's just makes it like settle where you're understanding it at a, at a way deeper level. And I'm certain that anybody that's listening, you know, it resonates deeply with. And this is what you've been doing for how long now, Roland? <laughs> I, I've been doing this uh, if, if we're... Uh... Uh, let's see, that would be about 41 years. So like, like a master, you know, a master in the space, uh, uh, you know, I'm grateful to be able to learn and listen to, to a man like you. And that has done so much by advising major brands and really spending time. So can you take us through maybe some sort of a use case scenario? You don't have to talk about the specific business, but something that maybe like it really required you to have that resilience and that solution oriented perspective of helping the people around the table, help you help them see how important it is to really come together and find a solution so that the business can continue to thrive and really enhance by you know, and doing it obviously with intention, with attention, with ethics, with moral, with value, with principle, which is something that you've been doing for 41 years. And so I think that this is what sets men and women like you of like high moral standards and that great compass, internal compass, apart from those that aren't around anymore, those that don't succeed in business. And, and so I really, I think that Above all, you know, yes, you're brilliant, less you've done a lot of great things, but most importantly is your principles, your values, what you've allowed yourself to step into. And as a result, you've been able to spread that through, through uh, you know, the people you've advised, the brands you've worked with and the scenarios you've kind of gone through. So, and this comes from probably going through a lot of problems and finding solutions, right? And it so does. that continues cycle, does. right? So I'm just curious to know because 
these is something that I don't think a lot of people understand that how important adversity is by helping you really step into that level of influence and leadership. Yeah, uh, I, I, it's it's hard to to think of examples that I can talk about, um, but uh, I, I mean, it's I'll, I'll tell you one one very common scenario that I run into is that the businesses I work with, because I do a lot of the, we, we talked about consulting for equity earlier, and that's one of my favorite ways to, to come into a business. But a lot of the businesses that I work with um, have really not taken the time to fully flesh out their value ladder. And so um, I know there was one software company that I was working with. It was a real estate SaaS and um, their offer was uh, in the well, their their average their average order value was about twenty nine dollars. They had a couple of different subscriptions that they offered, and um, it just wasn't enough to provide for. Um, it wasn't enough to provide for a profit level that they that they wanted to have, and so they were doing about three million dollars in revenue and losing about a million dollars a year, and um, they had done well in that they had tried several different things. They'd tried uh, uh, upsells to annual programs. They'd tried um, uh, affiliate sales and they had, they still had those things, but it still wasn't enough. And so really going in and kind of taking a look at what they had and saying, you know, well, where, where is the, the top cap? So if we think of a ladder that the very, top rung of a ladder is the top cap. And so they had the low part, but they didn't really have, and, and they had a little bit of middle, but they didn't have that high ticket thing. And so what we realized was there was another product that all of their people needed that was being purchased around the same time that people were purchasing their product. And so um, it was basically uh, a phone call to a strategic partner and um, working out an arrangement where without having to start a new business, they could effectively bolt onto the value ladder that they had, a top cap that provided the thing that all these people were buying at scale, and that instantly changed the equation for them. So we, we looked at the, uh, we projected out the take rate and everything, and basically took the business from uh, losing a million dollars at $3 million to on that same level of customers with no increased marketing spend uh, coming out with a million dollar profit. So that's a $2 million swing, right? Pretty significant. And that's not atypical at all. There's very, very often that companies don't have that value ladder thing together. There's another company that um, that we're working with actually right now that, um, that uh, did an acquisition and they effectively acquired the middle of the value ladder, but not the front end. So they didn't acquire the part that was generating the media, or excuse me, that was generating the leads. They didn't acquire the lead magnet parts of the business. They acquired the operational component, but they realized a few years in that they lost all of the lead flow because they didn't have the front end of the business. And they also didn't acquire the top cap 
part of the business. They didn't acquire the high end part of the business either. They were focused, their whole business model was focusing on that middle component. And so then having that conversation with them and saying, you know, look, if you really want to grow the middle component super fast, you got to have the front end. And if you really want to profit the most, you got to have the top cap. And so we really need to put those three things together. And so I look at when I come in to new companies to work with, what is the value ladder currently and how does it segment into those three things from lead flow acquisition as the low end to which is media to the operational core product to the profit maximizer high ticket uh, top cap of the value ladder. And like that alone is just something that a lot of people don't think about. And that's one of the easier things to do, but but very, very important to focus on because a lot of the low hanging fruit lies in those kinds of things. This value, and, and a lot of people don't even know, like the, the, they don't think of how important it is to have those three different offers, like the, that, that three different uh, parts of the value chain or the value ladder. Yep. You know, they, like how can you educate, entertain, empower the front end of your uh, of your audience or prospective buyers or you know completely unaware uh, individuals to then really supporting them at that component where you're able to have that profitability at the back end. And it's interesting because what you bring up. I, I really feel like a lot of people may be uncertain that, hey, that, that actually exists inside of businesses, that when you have more of these offers, right, when you're able to navigate more of these offers at a very, you know, front end capacity to a, a high ticket, you're able to then attract even more people from different stages of prospect levels of awareness uh, that take them from completely unaware to like super loyal clients. Yep, exactly. This gives them then that market share that allows them to stand out from other individuals, especially when they're sharing from like an authentic space, a unique value proposition, their own mission statement, things that are meaningful to them. And so this is something that I really stress so much upon because, you know, we all know we're different. Some people, especially myself, as I grew I thought I was just like some guy, you know, like I didn't know my uniqueness. And I think as we grow for myself, especially you find out your unique kind of flavor to that you add to the world by just being yourself and people don't know how to be themselves. And so I think it's beautiful that you bring this up because in business, you get to amplify who you are at a source level through your business. The business becomes the the, the, the vehicle of, of who you already are. And you can do that within these value, value offers. Exactly. So Broski, uh, I want to just, you know, uh, go back to you and the e-learning, the e-commerce. Uh, what is e-learning for you and how do you see that being an important role of for our future generation and how we get to kind of leave this place, this world, uh, the art of business behind better than when we found it. Well, I, I mean, the model of going to a physical classroom to learn through traditional education methods has, I think, 
proven to be at least incapable of working for the bulk of the population because different people learn different ways. Um, the traditional education is to have uh, the material in, in a book that you are instructed to read chapter by chapter, and then the professor gets in front of you or teacher and regurgitates that to you, and then you regurgitate the regurgitation back, and that's kind of the, and then it's this memorization of facts that you'll probably never use again in your life. Um, I think that making learning available to everyone everywhere, and we saw this a lot during the pandemic, is really just such a huge increase in the number of people that you can impact with what you're teaching and a huge increase in the audience that can receive the information that you've got. So when you look at all the things that aren't taught in traditional education, that like how to balance a checkbook, how to make money, how to, you know, be in business, how to be an entrepreneur, how to market, how to sell, how to close, um, all of those things are so important, but missing from most educational curricula. So uh, when you look at companies like Masterclass that are taking the people who have made it the most, when you can take your film class from Martin Scorsese and you can take your cooking class from Gordon Ramsay, that's just not possible. There's not, not the scale to do that in a traditional environment. So the fact that we've got all of that available and that YouTube is the second largest search engine because uh, it's a place where you can go and find how to do whatever you want to do with competent, hopefully usually instructors, or there are paid courses like masterclass uh, or monthly or things like that, where you can actually get proven experts to teach you. Uh, it, it's a, it's just such a wonderful evolution of education that didn't exist 30, 40 years ago. And uh, it wasn't when I was being educated, it didn't exist at all, right? And um, you had books and that was the mass way to educate. So really to me, e-learning is just an evolution of publishing and publishing has certainly been something that's helped us all. You know, I think the fact that when the printing press happened and we were able to have books at scale, that changed the game. So many more people were able to be educated. When we're able to do it online in bits and bytes, uh, it increases even more. And now because the educators don't have to go through uh, gatekeeper publishers and anyone can be a publisher, that's, that's just so amazing. All the creators that are out there now, we're in that creator economy um, and anyone can be a creator and anyone can find them and consume them. And uh, that's, that's not going to change. That's just going to continue. So I think it's, it's, it's a huge market that is uh, always worth, if you have something to say, going out and, uh, and getting into. I love it. And that's what we're here for is to like help our future, ch our children or our future, you know, children's children really allow them and hold the space for them to express themselves without limits, you know, and you know, I see you have, you know, a piano behind you. I see there's a beautiful painting and this is art, you know, like you, like we all are artists. I really believe in this wholeheartedly. We have, we're artists at our deepest level 
And so we get to paint the picture of our lives and by following our dream. Yeah, exactly. Tell us about the, 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 do you play? I do. Yes, absolutely. I love it. And do you, do, what's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite uh, uh, composition or composer? Oh, I, I, I don't think I could possibly choose one of those. And I'm, I'm an equal opportunity music lover. So I like everything I from EDM to jazz to, you know, to you name it. Brother, uh, honestly, it's been such a pleasure. I'm really grateful for your time, your energy, your wisdom. Uh, I have a final question. Actually, first, if anybody wants to know more about you, uh, how can they find out more information, what you're up to, how to connect with you? What, 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 what's all the amazing things happening? You know, what, where, where can they find you brother? <laughs> Sorry. So I am, uh, I'm everywhere online at forward slash Roland Frazier, R-O-L-A-N-D-F-R-A-S-I-E-R. Uh, so that's, you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, I'd say, uh, TikTok, I'd say YouTube, TikTok, and, uh, Instagram are probably the channels I'm, I'm most, present on directly because I respond to all my DMs on those. Um, but also um, I have a podcast called Business Lunch where we interview uh, smart, successful folks. And um, that's there's a lot of stuff there as well. And then my primary website, I have a website at rollandfraser.com, but also uh, the thing that I'm most passionate about right now is at epicnetwork.com. That's where we have all of our uh, business acquisition, growth and exit stuff. And please like go check out this brilliant man and all the work he's done. He's had some major players on his podcast, some major things happening in his life. And, you know, we're very blessed to have you here today and sharing your incredible knowledge, man. If you had last question before we go, if you had three days left to left to live, what would you do? Oh gosh, if I had three days left to live, I'd probably hang out with my family and just uh, do something that we all enjoy. So it's, you know, if I have anything left on my bucket list, I'd be knocking it off during that time and I'd be taking them with me. <laughs> I mean, again, uh, brother, anything else that you want to just add? Any, any final, final uh, state, anything you want to share? No, man, I, everything is, I, I just think that uh, it, Anything that you want to do is achievable with focus, mentorship, masterminding, and a model that works. So if you've got the model and you've got a good mentor and you get with a good community of people to mastermind, I think you can accomplish pretty much anything. I agree with that statement so much. I'm so grateful to have you in my life, my friend. Thank you for having me here. Big love. We'll, we'll talk soon. All right. Hey, everyone, and thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Minds. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please make sure to go comment and like and follow us on iTunes or Spotify. And make sure, please make sure that if you really love this, to share this episode and make sure that you're inviting all your friends to like it as we continue to unfold what the beauty of our minds does. More importantly, how powerful our heart level of intelligence can be when we combine our heart and our brain together. And more importantly, check out the alignment course that I've created. It's seriously there for you to take advantage of at www.ericbalance.com forward slash alignment. See you on the next show.